The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. All right, we are in our fourth week of our sermon series um, called Rich. And I was just thinking about that song, and I'm hoping that you heard that Pastor Joe and myself, as we speak about this topic about being rich in generosity, you would understand it that it's coming from God first, isn't it? That, that he is the one that's rich toward us. And so if he did all these things for us to, to claim us as his own, to provide for our every need, all those things, then that song kind of ties into it. So will I. So will I. And so we hope that out of gratefulness you hear us kind of imploring you that, that God wants us to be generous givers but only because we understand what we receive from him and his generosity. And so I love, we haven't used this word, I don't think, uh, this sermon series, but it's kind of a Christianese word, not Chinese, but Christianese kind of word, you know. Sorry for the Chinese folks. (laughs) Philippines, Tagalog, no, anyway, um, uh, you've heard steward? Have you heard stewards? We don't really use that in our language. What's a steward? Steward is a... A manager. It's a manager. That's another word for, for a steward. And I love the way First Peter puts it. If you look on the screen, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good, what? Stewards, managers of God's grace. First Corinthians 4.1 says it this way. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now hold on right there. Stewards, managers of the time, of the talent, and, and the, the, the gifts that you give, the treasures, time, talent, treasures, that we're to be managers of what God has given to us. And really the most important one, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. You know what the mystery of God is? It's the gospel that he actually would take me, a dead person in sin, in my sins, and, and make me alive again. We're stewards of his word to be able to share that abundantly and graciously and generously to people who don't know. That's what he's called you to do. And yes, along the way, we serve him with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Stewards, if you remember from week one of our series, remember Pastor Joe saying this, that we were actually, from the world's standards, we were rich. In America, we're rich from the world's standards, but we don't give as Christians uh, just so we could feel good about ourselves, but we give because God was extraordinarily generous to us. That was what he said in week one. Week two, then I said, hey, remember the four P's of, of generosity, of being generous, of planning, having a plan in your budget, prioritizing in proportion to what God has given us, and then really trusting in God's promises along the way. That God promises something when we give. And you'll see that as I explain a correlation then today in week four of our giving and our seeing God. So we're actually going to talk not so much about the time and uh, the talent part, but really the treasure part. What God has provided us with our finances. And so that word would come up. What does tithing really mean? Giving back to God a portion of what he has given us. And really, as we look about, think about this, giving... Back to God, a portion of what he's given us, it's, it's, it's a practice of our faith. It's a spiritual discipline. We do that, we get to experience God's activity in our life. And I'm going to make this connection that when we do that, we actually get to see God. 
I mean, if you think about this, if we believe, if we truly believe that everything comes from God, that he gives us our time, our talent, our treasure, everything, our spiritual gifts, all of it, if it's all his anyway, then what's our attitude toward giving it back to him? It's his. Lord, it's in my hand, but I don't want to hold on to it too tightly because it's yours. And a foundation, a couple foundation texts as we begin this message today from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all his to begin with. That's what I want us to think about. It's all his to begin with. And as managers of that, when we manage his resources, what it does, is it proclaims God's ownership and power in our life. King David, when he was getting gifts to, to build the temple in the Old Testament, he says these words in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Remember a couple weeks ago I said when I look out, I see that you're all billionaires. That God has given us so much resources of time and talent and treasure and skills. And that we ask him, Lord, help me to be a generous giver. Because everything is his, including myself. The Bible says I'm bought with a price. Therefore, we honor God not just with our bodies, but with our minds, with our gifts, with everything. Everything is his anyway, so we don't have to cling to it and hold on to it so tightly. I mean, just think about this. What are we going to be able to take when we pass away from this? Nothing save or except for the faith that he's given us. Our souls will take that. But everything else is going to be destroyed, the Bible says. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth for us. So we talk today about how we live generously in this life. Not so much with our, with our talents and our time, but with our Treasures, And here's what I'm going to talk about first, this, the, first, this word called tithing. I mean, I say it every time I'm up, right? Now it's time for our tithes and our offerings. Well, what is that? It comes from an old English word, and it means tenth. It means 10% of your income. Tithing was part of the Old Testament law of the people of Israel. God set up this new nation. He's setting up all these laws. And he's saying, if you obey these dietary laws, you know, obey my covenant of circumcision, all these uh, things about the temple, you know, don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, all those kinds of stuff, then I'm going to bless you. That's what, that's what God said. Specifically with tithing, I want you to look at Malachi 3.10. It's up on the screen. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So, it's not uncommon today then from God saying, here's what's happened in the Old Testament, and I'm going to promise blessing financially and otherwise on you people of Israel, that Christians today then make that jump and say, well, if God uh, said tithing should be in the Old Testament, then we must also tithe. True or false? God said also, you know, uh, or as people say also, they make the jump. Then if, if, if you tithe, then does see Malachi says, I mean, he's going to open up the floodgates. You're going to be financially blessed by that. So if you tithe, you're going to be financially blessed. True or false? Yeah. Both these statements are incorrect. 
Because what God said in the Old Testament, he said for the people of Israel, he said all those, all those sacrifices, all those festivals, all those temple rules. I mean, Christians today aren't expected to circumcise their kids. Christians, they are expected to, to not eat pork or shellfish with the same way goes that it doesn't apply directly to Christians today. Those food laws, those festivals, all of that. Colossians chapter 2 verse 17 says it this way. These are a shadow. All those things that, that we read about. And if you've ever gotten past the book of Levit- Leviticus, you know, second chapter, you'd see all these things. These things are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the end of all those Old Testament laws. Except for this one. The moral law of God. The Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, they're written on every person's heart. And God still has those expectations in the Ten Commandments. And that, in that fact, what's, that's what drops us to our knees, saying, I fall short of the glory of God. But all these other ones? No. Christ fulfilled them. So here's the thing. The Old Testament law of tithing is not an obligation for Christians today. It's not. And then we can't claim that the specific promise that God gives in the Old Testament about tithing, we can't expect that he'll overflow us with blessings financially if we tithe. In fact, it goes against Jesus' words. In John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Yes, suffering is still going to happen. Yes, hardship is still going to happen. Trials are still going to come. But in fact, if we think, you know what? God, I'm tithing back to you. I'm giving financially. Then I'm going to obligate you that you got to you know, give, give a portion back to me. Well, that's just not, show, that's not so. That's not the truth. Now, of course, here, here's the thing, though. As we live a Christian life and we live in obedience and according to what God has said in his commands, well, it is a life that's more blessed. A life that we live versus disobeying God. It is. We will be blessed, but we won't bless necessarily in those physical ways. But how are we blessed? Peace. Perseverance. Strength. Hope. The ability to come before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Forgiveness of sins. The promise of his presence right here, right now, moving in our midst through the Holy Spirit. We're blessed in so many ways beyond financially. So to think that, you know, we're going to have a life because we're a Christian and we tithe and we do all these things, that it's going to be free from disease or from financial hardship or whatever else, God doesn't promise that. But he does give us blessings. So that's kind of the... The, the foundation of when we talk about this being rich in generosity. I want us to learn then from Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 5, there's a correlation between our giving and seeing God. So open up your Bibles. We're going to read the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Have you heard of that? You know, sometimes Christians think about it this way. You know, these are the things Jesus wants us to be. Or the characteristics Jesus wants us to have. So it's the be attitudes. I don't want you to think that way. Okay? Not today. Sermon on the Mount. Actually, a guy that went to Jerusalem said, Tony, it's really not a mountainside, but it's a big mound. So it's a sermon on the big mound with lots of people. Jesus saying all these things that when you think about it. Now, beatitudes, did you know the word comes from the Latin beatus, which means... 
Who knows that? Blessed. It means blessed. So several times, more than several, like eight maybe, the word blessed or in the, used in the adjective, adjectival way, it's blessed. So sometimes I have to, ever do that, read the Sermon on the Mount, blessed, blessed, or is it blessed? Which one is it? It's blessed, that's how I'm going to read it, okay? Beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus, he saw the crowds, he went up on a big mound, on a mountainside, and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we read these words, I don't know about you, but when I first read them, when I first started to read the Bible in my my late teens and early 20s, I'm thinking, man... Jesus set the bar so high in terms of how we morally and ethically live. I mean, come on. Blessed are the merciful. I'm not merciful all the time. No, I'm not meek. I'm a show-off. No, God, I'm not poor in spirit. I have this, you know, I'm a cocky guy. Persecuted? Nope, never been persecuted. I mean, come on. I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness either. How in the world, if you expect me to be all these things, how am I going to get to heaven? You ever think that way? You ever think that way now as we struggle of being a sinner and saint? I don't see any heads moving. Are we listening? Please tell me you think like me. Uh, I mean, holy cow. Jesus sets it high. Do you agree with that? Yes, you you can't do all these things. And that's the point. And that's really the point. You can't, but who can be all these things? Sunday school answer. Jesus can. And he did. He was merciful. He was pure. He was a peacemaker. He did all of this for us. For us. And we thank God for that. So as we read these words, maybe, maybe they not only sound like that to you, but maybe they also sound, they don't really match up with the world's standards, do they? And if you look at these verses, verse 5, how can the meek inherit the earth? I mean, the world eats up meek and humble people, don't they? Really? Don't they? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful? No way. I mean, you go in the corporate world today, there's no mercy. You go in sports today, I'm a coach, there's no mercy. I don't teach my kids like that. But, right? Would you agree? I think of this movie, remember the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, where, where uh, the sensei teaches Johnny, you know, when he's fighting against Daniel-san? What does he say? No mercy. You know, break his knee. Break his leg. Do whatever it takes to win. No mercy. That's the world standards. Blessed are the persecuted, verse 10. Come on. How, how do they get heaven? It shouldn't be the persecuted that get heaven. It should be the brave and the courageous. 
We're rewarded. Got it right from that one. Awesome. Yes. It's, it's just opposite. And then Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount later, it says, somebody strikes you on your right cheek, give them your, give them your other one. If somebody wants to sue you for your, your shirt, give them your coat. I mean, these are radical statements of Jesus that we try to grasp that sometimes, you know, we just can't follow it. That when we're trying to follow Jesus, sometimes his teachings seem opposite of how we think and about how we believe living in this world. It really is. They seem opposite. That's the next slide. It's the next slide. Yeah. I mean, really. And it's contrary to our way of thinking. It's contrary to how we think in, in our sinfulness. Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount. Lots of stuff that, that just seem contradictory. I'll give you a current day example of this. How many of you, when you were younger, your mom or dad's or your teacher taught you, you know, if you ever, you're ever on fire, you're supposed to stop, drop, and roll. But I bet if you weren't ever taught that, you would be tempted or inclined to go, I'm not going to stop, drop. I'm going to run. I'm going to find the closest body of water, lake, river, hose, whatever it is, and I'm going to squirt myself off, right? I'm jump in, whatever. But no, you were taught, stop. Drop. Seems contrary though, doesn't it? I mean, for me, I'm like, I'm going to that baptismal fund right now. But no, what 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 does what does fire how did how does fire how is fire fueled? Oxygen. So if I'm on fire, I'm dropping, I'm snuffing out that fire, and it's done. But it goes contrary. It's the same thing with Jesus' teaching and the Beatitudes. They may go against our natural inclinations, but when we do them, guess what? This is going to be a blessing for us. And this is what God wants because it's best for our lives. And so look at verse 8 one more time. How this applies to our giving back to God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? They will see God. Well, first of all, when we come to that, we got to realize that Jesus is the one that purifies our hearts, isn't he? That he gave us grace to do that. We're made pure by God through the person and work of Jesus. And so when we know that, here's what happens in our giving. It doesn't become a legalistic thing anymore. It's not an unnatural thing, but it's a joyful, spiritual discipline. That's what it is. And as it relates to being rich in generosity, it's not stop, drop, roll, but it's give, save, live. Now, is that an unnatural thing? I would say it is. Because don't most people say, you know what, I'm going to live first. I'm going to feed my family. I'm going to provide for their needs. Then I'm going to save a little bit because you never know, emergency rain fund, whatever it is. And then whatever's left over, I'm going to give. Isn't that the natural thing? Well, I think in the scriptures you find that Jesus' words are saying, give, save, live. From the Old Testament, there are a lot of examples from the New Testament we hear that people gave of their first fruits. The habit of the early Christian church was to give and gather on the first day and give. Look at 1 Corinthians 16.2 on the screen. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The first day of the week. 
Acts chapter 4. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully working them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, was distributed to anyone who had need. What kind of radical life did the Christians lead in the first Christian church, in the first the history of, of Christianity? I mean, they people who were unbelievers saw them, and you were just living radically. This is crazy how you do this. And they, they saw their love, they saw their faith, and they became believers as well. Justin Martyr, an apologist, an early church father, wrote in, in, in some of the history, 120 years after Jesus, he said, these Christians, they come together on the first day of the week and they give of their, their, their resources back to the apostles, back to the church for the good of everyone. And I love that, that I read that in, in Justin Martyr's writings because it is an extra-biblical resource. Yeah, I'm showing you what the Bible says about this, but now we have Christians who are also saying, yep, that's what the Christians did. Verifiable and awesome. Give, save, live. I can tell you straight up, that is a hard thing to do. For my wife and I, for my family, it is a hard thing to do. Now, I'm not going to, I hope you don't think I'm boasting when I say this, but the giving part I think I have down. I do. I mean, you know, it comes out for, first from my paycheck, electronically, without even me thinking. And sometimes when I come, you know, when the offering plate comes and I'm not preaching, I'm worshiping with my family, I'm like, oh yeah, I got a green card. I'll put it in there. Great. You know, sometimes I want to think, you know what, stop my paycheck because now I'm just going to say, and I want to see my kids see all the money that's piled in to make it a really worshipful moment. You know, all we do is let the girls fill out the green card because they have better handwriting. And then, then we realize this is what we do. But the giving part, that comes just kind of automatic. And sometimes I don't think about that. Then again, the Bible says, don't let what your left hand, you know, is doing your, with your right hand. What does that say in Matthew? But at the same time, what a worship time that tithes and offerings can be. It is a worship moment when we give generously. But here's the part that's it's hard. You can ask, ask my thriving financial rep on this one. Give, save, live? Wait a minute. That middle part just doesn't work for me. There's nothing there. It's just give, live. You know, and my wife's nodding her head, but yeah, that's what it is. But guess what? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, for they will see God. And I, it's a blessing that my family sees God. There's a correlation between giving and seeing God more clearly in this scripture. The more we rely on him, the more we realize he's our provider. There is no doubt. Yes, God, I'm trusting because it's all yours anyway. I give back to you. You provide to me and I see you more and more. And I praise God for that. I praise God. But let's be clear. Is tithing something that you are you have to do as a Christian? Say it louder. No, it's not. 
It's not. We do it, though, cheerfully and proportionally, and we see examples all over the Scriptures that God's people did this. I referenced two weeks ago a number of them. I'm going to share with you a couple today that maybe I've shared last week, but if you haven't seen that, that second in the series that I did, please look it up online, and you can see those Scriptures that I gave you there. The early Christian church gave of their first fruits, 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, keeping, uh, to, then to us keeping with God's will. St. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. See, we give each week according to how God has prospered us. That's what we do. The New Testament doesn't lay down a set number. Yes, the Old Testament did. A tithe, which means 10%. So if God said to these people of the old, well, doesn't it seem reasonable that maybe we start with giving with that and the new? That's kind of how it applies indirectly to the Christians today, that generosity can be seen as a tithe. But again, it's not a have-to thing. It's a get-to thing. Whatever you've decided in your heart, proportionately, whatever that percentage is, whatever that number is, we do it firstly to God. We give back to him because he has blessed us and we trust in his promises. What's the promise? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. And what's the promise? For they will, they will see God. They will see God. Here's the key to interpreting the Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready? It's a little word for. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's haughty. It means it can also be translated as because. Because Jesus was pure in heart, you're, pre- you're purified. Because he shown, has shown you mercy, we're merciful. Because he did all these things. He was a peacemaker. He was poor in spirit. He, all these things that you read, we receive. We receive wholeheartedly for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen? Read him that way, not as be that attitude. So what's God expect us to do? Well, he gives us this way. You know, I don't know about you, but if you think about your week and how you fell short of the glory of God, how you broke the commandments, were you perfect this week? Did you sin in thought, word, and deed? Say it louder. Yes, so did I. So did I. And so the psalmist, David, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba, right, and, and he, he cries out in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my sin, my transgressions, wash away my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast your presence from me. And so we pray, God, as as you purify my heart, I'm going to receive your promise. And the promise is, your heart is pure, Tony. You've been forgiven. You confess your sins. You are rich in forgiveness of sins. Forgiven and blessed to be pure in heart, to see God more and more. You know that grace. You're Christian people. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. That though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that through his poverty we might be rich. Rich 
in love, in mercy, in time, and talents, and resource. So we pray, God, give me a pure heart so that I can be a generous giver. I can't do it on my own. Only you, through the word of God, can work through me. And when I do that, I'm going to see you more.